feel like everybody's staring at me right now. It's a sad moment. I don't like those coming up after that, but we are thankful for Peter and his family. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 40 is where we're going to to go uh, this morning. Uh, My name is Andrew Kappenman, and I am one of the church planning candidates on staff here at Salt Church, and uh, I've been out the last couple of weeks preaching at Northwest right uh, across the walkway. Um, Their pastor, Josh, is still in the hospital fighting with COVID uh, and is trying to get out. And so Patrick is over there this morning filling in for them. Uh, So pray for Josh, pray for their church as they're just dealing with uh, so many people getting COVID. Their student pastor uh, got it, their pastor has it. It's just been uh, running through this area at this time. And so uh, please, please uh, pray for them. Like I said, we're going to be in Genesis 40, and the title that I've kind of given uh, the, the message this morning was Worth uh, the Wait. Worth the Wait. And so as we begin, I would just really like to share a piece from a sermon by a well-known pastor. His name is Adrian Rogers. Uh, he pastored in Memphis, Tennessee for the longest, longest time. But he preached a sermon based on this passage and some others, uh, and he gave the title of his sermon, What to Do When Dreams Dissolve. What to Do When Dreams Dissolve. He says this, What do you do when you're trying to serve the Lord, when you're living clean, when you're praying, when you're trusting, and when you're obeying and doing the best you know how? And number one, everything seems to go wrong. And number two, nothing seems to make sense. I think in our lives, we are in that moment so many different times, and we kind of try to push that aside some. But if we're looking at our passage this morning, this is Joseph's life. If you go all the way back to chapter 37, when Joseph uh, was with his brothers and he had a dream, right? And he's with his family and we know Joseph's story. We kind of walked through that. Joseph was the one that was looked at as kind of higher than all of his brothers. His father loved him. His brothers really didn't care for him that much. And then he finally decides, if you look at 37, 6 through 7, he says to them, he says, listen to this dream I had to his brothers. They were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, and all your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. I don't know if you have brothers or sisters, especially older ones. That's probably not the smartest thing to say. I have an older sister, and when we were younger, we went at it. I mean, it was like cats and dogs, right? So it's probably not the best thing. So that, that whole sentence, that whole couple of verses led to a ton of things to happen in Joseph's life. You remember his brothers, they threw him into a pit. They're like, hey, we're just going to leave him here to die. Well, one of his brothers like, well, I really don't want to do this. Let's not like kill him. So we're going to sell him as a slave. And so they did that. They sold him into slavery to the Midianites. And ultimately, Potiphar, a well-known man in Egypt, buys Joseph as a slave and he enters his house and starts to serve. And the Lord kind of shows his faithfulness to Joseph. Joseph really starts to kind of rise in the ranks in Potiphar's house. And if you were here last week and heard Stephen preach, Potiphar's wife comes in, right? You know, every story has to have that. Potiphar's wife comes in and starts making moves on Joseph. And Joseph was trying to stay faithful to God. And he, he wouldn't do what Potiphar's wife wanted him to do. And so she got him thrown in prison. Dealing with this this idea of of being in prison, so many things have happened in Joseph's life in the past really around 13 years. Joseph had a dream and the Lord was going to put him in a place of prominence, right? That's what Joseph was thinking. 
It's like, hey, I had this dream and, and God was going to make me a well-known person. My brothers, were going, my brothers were going to bow down to me, but guess what? Now he's sitting in prison. Really not going the way that he thought it was going to go. What do you think that it was going through his mind at that time? What would be going through your mind? Man, I really don't think this is the way it's supposed to be. I thought it was going to turn out a whole lot better than this right here. This does not look like I'm sitting at the top of, 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 of people and people are bowing down to me. Maybe you have been in a place of waiting on God to work. Maybe you're in that place right now. That wait might be waiting on the next step in life. What do I do? Where do I go? What major do I choose? What is going to be that next step after I graduate college? That wait might be for a spouse. Am I going to meet someone that I'm going to get to spend my life with? It could be that you're waiting on the Lord to really bless your family with a child. You could have family like I did, and that every day you're waiting to see, is that terminal disease going to come back? Waiting is hard. How do we deal with that? How do we look into our hearts and minds? How do we walk through life when God is calling us to wait? Like, what do we do? If we look at Joseph's life, we'll see how he responds to that. We'll see what he goes through. Some of the things that have happened just in a couple of quick stories in chapter 40 and 41. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at chapter 40 first. And what we're going to do, I want to read through the entire story so that we know where we're going. And then we'll kind of uh, give you some truths of what that looks like. If you're following along in chapter 40, it says this. After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. The, kings of Egypt, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both of them had a dream the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. Joseph came in to them, to, them, to them in the morning, and he saw that they were looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, in my dream, there was a vine in front of me. One of the vine were three branches. As soon as it's budded, its blossoms came out, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation. Joseph said to him, the three branches are three days, and in three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, your head up, and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. When all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head, and in the top baskets were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the baskets of my head. 
This is its interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift your head up from off of you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from the body. On the third day, which Pharaoh's birthday, he gave feasts for all of his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But the Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So if you look at the story, it's kind of crazy. You're like, okay, Joseph is sitting in prison. There's these two guys. He's just chilling, minding his own business, right? Kind of what I would think prison would be like. I hope I don't ever have to deal with that, okay? But Joseph just sitting there chilling. Two guys show up, a cupbearer and a banker. It's kind of weird that while he's there, he is being put in charge of other prisoners, right? You don't really hear about that a lot in prison, But if you look back at chapter uh, 39, verses 21 through 23, it says this. He says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord had made everything that he did successful. So Joseph's just sitting there in prison, minding his own business, but these two new prisoners come in. And Joseph was constantly reminded of the Lord's faithfulness by gaining favor with those that were above him. He's like, they could see that Joseph trusted God and that he could be trusted. And so in that moment, Joseph's faith continued to grow even when nothing was going his way, even when nothing just seemed to be working out. But he was being trusted because he trusted God. And I would like to share some truths that really show that in Joseph's life through this chapter. And so truth number one is this, that Joseph's faith grew even when he found him in a situation that is discouraging. Even when he found him in a place, in a situation that was discouraging. If I were sitting in prison, if I were Joseph and I was, knew that I had been put there wrongfully, what would you be doing? I'd be sitting there like, how am I going to get out of this place? How am I going to get uh, away from here? Because I did nothing wrong. Joseph didn't think that way. He was content in God no matter what his circumstances were. Man, I wish I could say that about my life. That no matter what was going on in life, whether it was good or bad, that I would be content in who God is. Just as Joseph has seen, we will often find ourselves in battles that are discouraging. What is our attitude in these moments? What is your attitude? What is my attitude when we're in a place where we feel like we shouldn't be and everything seems to be falling apart? Because these things can both be spiritual and they can be worldly at the same time, physical things. What do you do when you constantly read your Bible and you're constantly diving into the Word and you get to the end of it and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. I'm trying to trust in God. I'm trying to follow Him. I'm trying to do what He has called me to do. But man, these temptations in my life just won't go away. I have this degree I've graduated college, but I can't seem to find a job in my field. I can't seem to find work where I want to go. What is the Lord doing? Why did the Lord allow me to get this degree in the first place? 
Others may be thinking of a tension in their family that would just go away. That I want to follow Christ. I want to do what God has called me to do. I don't want to chase this world and chase the American dream. I want to chase what God wants to do in my life. All these things are relevant. But I want to encourage you this morning. I want to, to encourage you to have faith in God's plan even when you feel like everything is falling apart. Because his plans are better than our plans. His ways are way higher than our ways. Joseph's faith grew because that's what he trusted in. He knew these things. He knew that God's plans were way better than his. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar, roar and foam, though the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge in those moments. God is the one that our faith is in. That's how we grow, even in the midst of discouraging situations, even in the midst of things not going the way that we want. I love the famous quote by theologian Charles Spurgeon when it comes to this topic. And he says this. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. Man, what if we thought like that? That even in the hardest times, we would kiss the wave that was throwing us up against Jesus. Another truth that we see is Joseph's faith grew because even in the midst of adversity, he made every effort to have faith to serve others. He made every effort to have faith and serve others. If you look through 40, like, there's a, there's a challenging thing happening. He's in prison, and these two guys walk in, and they start having dreams. And what a picture that Joseph gives us. He's in prison taking care of these guys, and he walks in, and he gives all the honor and all the authority over to God in this moment. If you look back at verses 6 through 8, he says this. He said, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in the custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad? We had dreams, and they said to him, but there's no one to interpret them. He came into the room, and he knew something was wrong, right? Those who have kids in the room know what that, that looks like, right? You, you, you hear some rustling upstairs. You, you, you're like, man, what, what's going on? And then you walk into the room, right? And all of them are just kind of sitting there, and you just see it on their face, like, one, they've either hurt each other, they've either broken something, or who knows, the house may be falling down. But Joseph automatically knew when he came into the room, something was wrong. And if Joseph was a, a worldly guy, what he be like, oh man, I'll pray for you today. <laughs> but that's not what he did. He asked what happens. And what they say is like, we had these dreams last night, but we don't have anybody to interpret them. What do we do? They meant something. They were so real to them, and they were just looking for that. And Joseph automatically points them to God. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? Let me hear your dreams. He says, let me hear them. He says, what? we had dreams, they said to him, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God, so tell me your dreams. Joseph was quick to point the cupbearer and the baker to, to God. 
And he did that because he wanted to show them where his faith lied. He wanted to make sure that he knew that he was following God and that we have to be even careful in these, the sense of having dreams because uh, we can take that so far in our worldly context today. But we want to focus on what this means for Joseph today. Even in all the midst of all that was happening, Joseph sitting in prison, he was pointing his life to Christ. Not allowing circumstances to distract him from serving God and serving others. Again, for me, this is a really, really hard thing to do. And it may be hard for you. Deep down in our natural core of who we are and as worldly beings, we are selfish. We look after number one, Right? Why do you think the greatest, one of the, the two greatest commandments is love God and love others like yourself? Because we love ourselves a lot. And what God is trying to tell us is put that aside and love others more than you love yourself. It's hard to serve others when we're in the midst of a battle. Because we want to naturally turn things in. I want to naturally turn things back on myself. I want to, things to go my way. I want to fix things when everything is falling apart. Joseph truly believed that God is going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish. And he lived it out daily. He stayed faithful. What does that look like for us? How do we stay faithful to God, even in, in, in serving and loving and caring for others, even when things are not going the way that we thought that they would go? Because what Joseph learned in our last truth from this first chapter might be the hardest of them all. And we've already talked about it some already in the beginning. We talked about it in our worship time. We talked about it in kind of the introduction of this. But Joseph's faith in our third truth, Joseph's faith continued to grow even when he was still called to wait. Can you imagine what he felt at this time? Can you imagine the cupbearer and the baker came to him and asked him to interpret these dreams? He does. These, these dreams come true. And if you look at back at, at verse 14, he says, but when, he's talking to the cupbearer, and he says, but when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. His faith continued to grow because his faith was in God. He knew that he was, God was with him. He knew that God would fulfill his dream as well. And he asked the cupbearer to remember him. And what happened? Cupbearer went back, put the cup in the Pharaoh's hands. Joseph was never mentioned. The cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He was let down by man once again. He was let down by his brothers in chapter 37. He was let down by Potiphar in all the situation that he was wrongfully accused. And now he's let down by these guys. Called to wait once more. A commentator, Alan Ross, says this, the knowledge that was correct might have seemed, the knowledge that Joseph was correct in uh, interpreting the dreams might have seemed a little consolation while he was in prison. But it was just consolation. Others may have forgotten him, but God would not. He had a future. 
that others had forgotten him, but God would not. Joseph had to wait, and sometimes we will have to wait. And waiting is hard, but I want to, you, you to be encouraged this morning that whatever you may be waiting for, continue to have faith in Jesus. And if you do this, you'll be countercultural to this world. If you continue to have faith in God, will be countercultural to everything that this world says, because this world says that you can have everything that you want at your fingertips. We have Amazon. We have DoorDash. We have all these things that whatever we want, we can have it at our door the next day, maybe even the same day. We are not called to wait for anything. So when we see Joseph working through this in his life, he is putting his faith in God because God is still calling him to wait. God is still calling him to be patient. Joseph knew that God would not forget him, that he had a future. We have a future because we know if we are children of God, we know who holds the future in his hand. Ross continues to say this. He says, those who are convinced that God's desire to use them in greater capacities will demonstrate their unwavering faith in the midst of discouraging situations. When life seems to be falling apart and God seems to be absent, do we have an unwavering faith in who he is? Man, that's a question that we have to ask ourselves daily. And oh, how our faith would grow when we do. Oh, how much more will we have a deeper and deeper relationship with who God is when we constantly have an unwavering faith in the sovereign creator and sustainer of this world? I remember a time in life where this is really hard in my family's life. I just entered ministry. I was a couple year, or a year out of college, a couple years uh, at this time, and I was working at a church as a recreation minister, pastor. I just ran sports leagues and uh, was doing all that, and I loved it. I'm a sports guy. I love being around it. And then I got a call because I was working as kind of like a, a BCM associate director kind of uh, kind of role, and I had previously uh, a year and a half later or earlier than that left that job just to go completely full-time at the church. And then I got a call back from my mentor slash boss, and he's like, hey, would you consider coming back and working with me? I need some help. I was like, well, that's kind of random. Let me pray about it, right? That's a Christian answer to do, <laughs> all right? It's like, let me, let me pray about it. Let me see what that is. And so in the midst of that, I started talking with my wife, Megan. I was like, what does this look like? How do we pray through this? Is this something that the Lord is calling us to do? And, and we really felt like the Lord was calling us back to, you know, work and help serve. And we didn't know why. So I presented it to the church. I was like, hey, um, I had worked at both places at one time, at the church and at this and this, uh, the BCM. And I was like, hey, uh, would you care if I did this again? And the church said no man, what do I do now? But I left to go because I felt like the Lord was calling me back to work with college students in that capacity. I was leaving a full-time job for a quarter-time job. I was married, had one child already, and right after I left my position at a full-time church, 
figured out we were having our second child. I was like, I'm a, I'm a provider. I'm a worker. Like, I'm going to take care of my family. And I'm sitting there like, I'm making 10 grand a year. And I got, I'm going to seminary. I got a wife and I'm about to have two kids. What is going to happen? And I remember that entire summer, just sitting and waiting and not knowing what was going to happen. How is the Lord going to provide in this moment? How am I going to take care of my family? We were praying. We were asking for different positions to go both part-time so I could do that. And the Lord just didn't seem to be answering those questions. He called us to wait. Later on, middle of the fall, a church called and was like, hey, we want you to come and do recreation stuff at our church and lead kind of a sixth grade ministry. And you can be here, but you can also stay where you are at the, at the same time. And what a blessing it was to get to understand and see that, that the Lord even worked through our prayers and the Lord provided in that way. But the hard thing is, my faith grew in that moment because I, see the, I saw the Lord's provisions in my life at that time. But I look back at that time and I ask myself the question, even in the midst of that waiting and even in asking the Lord, are you going to work? What if he wouldn't have provided in the way that he did? Would my faith still have grown? We see Joseph, no matter what his circumstances were, even in the waiting, his faith was growing, his faith was put in God, in the, God, the creator and sustainer, because he knew that God was going to work. And in chapter 41, we see the turning point in Joseph's story. Quickly, if you see, uh, go to ver uh, chapter 41, looking in the first few verses, or 27 verses, I'm going to try to read through these quickly. It says, at the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. And he was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly cows ate the healthy, wed-filled cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. Then the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump, full ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. And when morning came, he was troubled, so he summoned all the magicians of Egypt, all of its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put, he put me and the chief cupbaker in custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had, it own, had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew slave of the captain of the guards was with us there, and when he, told us, when he told him our dreams, he interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way that he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said to you that you can hear and interpret dreams. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so in verse 17, he, said, he, he walks through the dreams that he just talked about all the way um, through verse, uh, really, 24. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are the seven years, uh, or the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are the seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven, seven thin cyclic cows came up after them, and seven are the seven years of the seven worthless scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine. And so, just to kind of recap all of what that means, and reading it really fast, basically. Pharaoh has this dream, and they called Joseph in to interpret it. And Joseph tells them that, hey, there are going to be seven great years of abundance, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so in chapter 40, uh, 41, we really see the turning point in Joseph's story finally. Finally, the cupbearer remembered him. He's like, hey, Pharaoh, when we were in prison, we had these dreams, and this guy was able to interpret them. And so Joseph was called to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. He stayed faithful, and then he again points to God while doing so. If you look in verse 16, he says, I'm not able to do this. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In verse 25, he says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. In verse 28, Joseph told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then again in verse 35, if you go further down, he says, Let them gather all access found during the good years that are coming under Pharaoh's authority. Store the grains in the city so they may preserve uh, the food. It's like these are the things that are happening because of God. Pharaoh saw that Joseph was a little bit different. If you remember in the beginning of 41, he called all his magicians, all the people, all the wise men in to come to interpret these dreams, and they weren't able to do it. But Joseph, faithful to God, been one to be able to interpret dreams already, he was sought as being wise, sought that he knew someone different. Joseph's dream was finally fulfilled in this moment because of him interpreting these dreams. If you look at the chapter a little, all the way through that Joseph was finally exalted, he was put in charge of all the administration of storing up these goods during the seven good years so that they would have something to eat during the famine. All along, Joseph is thinking, God's timings and ways are fond beyond our thinking, but I knew that he was going to work. Joseph would not have thought that this was the way that it was going to go. But the thing is, when you look at Scripture, the story of Scripture is not how we would write it. The story of Jesus is not the way that we would write it, that this man would come and live a life perfect and complete to be able to sacrifice his life on the behalf of ours, to lay down everything that he has for rotten people like us. We wouldn't write it that way. To finish this out this morning, Joseph has been placed in charge in, in the ministration of all this. And I want to take a peek at Joseph's heart in the midst of this. If you look at verses 50 through 51, or 52 in chapter 41, we see this. All of this has uh, come out. Joseph is leading the people of Egypt, leading the land, and, and storing up these things. In verses 50 through 52, he says this. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of the famine arrived. Asnath, the daughter of uh, Potiphar, priest of Aon, bore to him... And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all my hardships and my whole family. 
And the second son he named Ephraim and said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me forget all the hardships. He's made me forget all my family. And God has made me fruitful. What incredible statements these are. And it leads to what I would hope that you would take away this morning. And our big idea, as we've read through all of this, these uh, verses and a couple big chapters, but the big idea I want you to see is that God is working in the waiting. That God is working in the waiting. Even in the midst of, of trials, even in the midst of suffering, God is working and he is faithful to his promises. Joseph is proclaiming that in all the hardships and all the pain and all the hurt that has come with what his life has been, that his faith has been put in God and it was all a part of God's plan. And Joseph's faith grew so much. He knew that through every trial and everything that he was going through, that God was faithful to his promises. We see that the famine was about to come in the next uh, couple chapters, and you will see that as we walk through the book of Genesis. But the famine was about to come, and we'll see that there's going to be a story of reconciliation with his family. So when we read that, that Joseph forgot his family, it doesn't mean he completely forgot them. No, he forgot what they put him through because he now sees that it was all a part of God's plan. And Joseph was going to walk through whatever God had for him as long as he wanted to be faithful to it. He wanted to stay a part of what God has for him. And so I ask you this morning, do we think the same way? I'm going to ask Van to start making their way back up here. But as we think about everything that is going on in our life, whether good or whether it's bad, Do we know, do we trust that God is working in our life, even in a time of waiting? Are we being faithful? Are we being patient? Because if we look at that, we know that Joseph's God is our God. He's the same God. He's the same God that walked Joseph through his life. Is the same God that will walk with us through our lives, because when we read the story in the Old Testament, that there is a greater Joseph in Jesus. He can give us freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry. And because of what he has done on the cross, we can know him. We can know that he is working even in the waiting, even in the suffering, and even in life's battles. Joseph put all of his faith, all of his trust in God. May we do the same. May we see our faith grow more than we can ever imagine. Because it is worth the wait to draw closer to who God is. I pray that each and every one of us in this room this morning has faith in the God who is the sustainer no matter what is going on in our lives. Let us pray.